Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here, and this is The Doug Show. In this episode, we are going to do a aged site case study update. It has been a little while, and I was looking at my shows and what I was planning to, to talk about, and I realized, wow, another month has passed, and I have not done an aged site case study, so I'm going to be going over some of the earnings, some of the traffic, the trends that we see. And I think one of the themes that will emerge, and I've been talking about this since the beginning, is this is kind of like a simulation of what it's really like to have a site where you're very busy with like your life and other things that are happening. Maybe you have the full-time job, maybe you have a family, maybe you're just working you know, two jobs and you're spread pretty thin. Because basically, I haven't done much to the site in the last few months. I think the last time I had any sort of activity with the age site case study was like in November. I took most of December off. January has been focused in other areas. And I kind of, honestly, I just kind of forgot about it. So this is a pretty pure simulation because I have been ignoring things. So if you're totally unfamiliar with the age site case study, there are many other episodes in the podcast, and there are several videos as well. So I encourage you to head over to nichesiteproject.com slash ASCS for aged site case study, and you'll be able to see uh, links, the play-by-play over the last uh, six, seven months, and you know just get some details about how I planned um, to do this case study. Again, if you're brand new, here's the main premise. I want to buy a pre-made Amazon affiliate niche site, and then outsource the work to hopefully hit a positive ROI as soon as possible. The URL that I just mentioned has affiliate links, links to any of the you know products that I mentioned. And by the way, the products that I mentioned in this episode, most likely I am an affiliate. So that means I get a commission for uh, the the sale, basically. So if you buy something, I get a commission and um, I'm giving you real actual feedback. I paid for all of the services. I didn't get anything free. So um, that allows me, you know, the freedom to speak uh, my, my mind and my thoughts on any of the products, which is kind of key. I wanted to make sure I did that from the beginning. So with that said, I'll give you the, uh, the quick update. So in January, the site made about $88.00. The traffic is still looking, you know, generally stable. Um, it looks like after the holidays, uh, a lot of times for a product-based website, you will see some of the traffic drop a little bit. So sometimes in January, it still stays elevated. My theory is that people receive gift cards from you know, whoever's giving them gifts. And then in January, they're spending those gift cards. So a lot of times I'll see January is, in my opinion, still a little elevated, and then February uh, drops a little bit. So we potentially are seeing that where maybe there's more traffic like earlier in January, and then it sort of drops off in the in the tail end. And again, you can go to the website to see the screenshot. Since I'm just telling you this stuff verbally, it's a little hard to uh, get a handle on like what what the traffic's really doing. So with that said. I believe um, all the way up until January on a weekly basis, traffic was going up basically almost every single week. And then I see um, 
in the tail end of January, it looks like traffic is dropping off a little bit and a couple things could be happening there. So there was an algorithm update in January. And to be honest, I don't follow along like super duper closely and like check the all the blogs that are covering any kind of algorithm update. Usually I just hear about it from other people that are asking or I'll observe traffic dropping a little bit or going up. Usually when there's an algorithm update, some there's some winners and there's some losers. It's, you know, just trading positions in most cases. Now, I'm not really sure because I wasn't tracking things super closely, like I mentioned, but I do see traffic's a little lower. There could be a couple things happening, maybe more, but I'm not panicked because like overall, the trend is in the right direction. And the fact that I haven't done anything with the site, I haven't added content, I haven't even looked at the metrics for a couple months, that really, really um, probably has something to do with a little bit of the, the drop. So I mentioned a couple updates ago that it was it was likely that I was going to stop outsourcing some of the activities. I made up the, the case study, so I'm shifting it a little bit here, and I think some people can appreciate it, right? So basically, I was hiring out companies to do all, all the activities. That, that was the premise. At the same time, when you do that, it's very expensive. It's, it's very, very expensive to outsource and just deal with like submitting the order and spend like 10 minutes on like submitting an order for say a guest posting package from the Hoth or Loganics. And then I don't do anything, but it's like eight to 10 times more expensive than if I did the work myself, which I have a fairly straightforward way to, you know, contact people that it's not a crowded channel. There's a high likelihood that I'll be able to, you know, get a link or ask for a guest post. And it's generally just doing outreach. People can put various different labels on it, but it's networking and doing outreach in a strategic way. So it's almost not guaranteed, but the conversion rate is much higher than if you're just sending out cold emails. That's just the way it works. I mean, if, if someone knows you, if you did spend the time to network with a blogger out there, then they're probably going to open your email, number one, and then they'll probably be a little bit nicer about what you're asking for if you are asking for anything. So this is you know going deep into like, hey, how are you going to bring the guest posting activities in-house? Well, I've been doing it for years. I've been testing in the last several months and it's worked out great on a completely different site. So a lot of times I'll test things, I'll figure out how things are working, and then I'll bring it into the case study after I, I don't want to say perfected it, but I've worked out the initial kinks. So I'm not like teaching or talking about things that I have no fucking idea if they work. Usually if I'm talking about it, I have a pretty good idea. Most people will be successful with it. So Anyway, that was one thing. I, I spent six months working on the site. That was kind of like the budget that I identified in the first six months. I'm probably going to spend between twelve and fifteen thousand dollars. I think it was around. I think I'm around the thirteen thousand dollar range. And I'll, aside from you know a few uh, minor expenses with like VAs and uh, keyword research from Human Proof Designs, the major cost associated 
buying the site. So I bought an age site from Human Proof. And then, by the way, you can get a 5% discount if you use the coupon code um, that's in the show notes here. Or if you go to ASCS, like I mentioned before, niche site project slash ASCS, you'll see um, the coupon codes and other links to get the discounts. So time has gone by and I realized, hey, it's really expensive when I'm hiring out this activity of guest posting and getting links and doing the outreach why don't I change the rules because I, I made up the rules for this case study. So what if I uh, make it a little cheaper and uh, potentially get the same upside instead of uh, making my expenses like much higher than they need to be. I could taper it down, bring it in house because at the end of the day, I want this to be like an income producing asset and Sure, it's been great to go through and show you how to outsource it. In fact, I received uh, several emails. I I didn't check to see if I could read them out here, but I received several emails where someone has either purchased a site from Human Proof Designs or from brand builders, or maybe they built a site themselves and they basically followed along because they weren't quite sure how to outsource certain pieces. They didn't know what services to use. So they followed along and they're like, Hey, I'm getting traffic now. I bought a KGR pack from human proof. It's been working out great. Content refined is doing my content for me, or maybe content development pros. And basically they're, they've been able to like get an ROI on their investment so far, which is great, especially for like busy people that don't have time to do all the keyword research themselves or write all the content, which is super time-consuming. So there's always a balance. There's always a trade-off. Either it's going to be very expensive or it's going to be time-consuming. There's really no way around it. You can't get high quality at cheap prices. It's just not a thing. There's no way that it's going to work out. If if anyone has like figured out how to uh, bridge bridge the gap and take a shortcut or anything, let me know. But I'm pretty sure there's like no shortcut. There's no way to get around it here. On the traffic front, I can give you a little bit of a uh, summary of of what I've seen. So I am uh, generally receiving about, on average, about 200 visitors per day or so, um, especially in like early January, something like that. There were a lot of days that were in like the two twenties or so. And then, um, I believe, you know, like I said, there's a algorithm update early January is like the first third or sort of mid January. Um, and it looks like traffic has dipped down from there, but it does look like it's sort of picking back up. So at this point, at the time that I'm recording this, it's been about a month and I've heard from a few people that said, Hey, I'm getting more traffic. Hey, I'm getting less traffic. So it looks like, uh, you know, this particular site for the age, age site case study has dropped a little bit. But if I just had to estimate it visually, it looks like maybe about, you know, 15%, 10, 15%, something like that. But relatively small number of visitors overall. And, you know, it seems okay because it's still potentially seasonal. There's some of that in play as well. So it's really hard to tell for the, I guess the people that are sort of picking up um, and they, maybe you haven't listened to all of the other episodes where I talk about it. Generally um, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick overview. So I purchased the site from human proof designs, 
pretty quick transition. It's very easy to put in your um, tracking ID for Amazon. So basically once I took possession of the site, it was only about three days or so before the first sale came in. It was already ranking for a few terms. So it was, it was just like really quick to make a couple sales within the first three months. Um, the site hit a hundred dollars, I think in something like August or September. And I took over the site on June the 16th of 2019. So it was very fast to get the first couple sales really quick to a hundred dollars per month. However, it sort of dropped back down after that one month where it hit a hundred on month three. Basically, someone bought several expensive things all in one order and it sort of, you know, returned to a trajectory that is a little bit more linear and less, I guess, geometric or exponential. And it's just slowly been growing in traffic. And again, if you take a look at the website, so you can see the actual traffic from Google Analytics and you can see the graphs, you'll notice that basically there's just been ongoing, not huge growth, but just ongoing growth since June of last year, where like basically each month there's, you know, 10 or 15, 20% more traffic. So it's just slowly been growing. And hopefully we can, you know, keep that up. I'm recording this on uh, Valentine's Day, actually. So happy Valentine's Day. You'll be hearing this a few days later. But basically, I hope we can continue with a uh, generally the same sort of trajectory as long as there's, you know, consistent growth, slow growth. I feel good about that. And I've been neglecting it. Like I said, this is like a pure, um, you know, a case study where it's truly emulating a busy, a busy person who has a lot of other things on their plate. And I, I, I mean, I think it's still going to work out okay. I think the site could be in much better shape if I continue to, you know, number one, invest in the services. But as I mentioned before, I'm trying to hit an ROI. So from an expense perspective, just like a real person out there who is potentially dabbling with niche sites, affiliate marketing for the first time, you want to watch your expenses. You don't want to go crazy and and find yourself deep in the hole where you're not sure if you're going to hit an ROI ever. But at at this point, like uh, the site's making money, there is growth. And I, I did a whole video on this, but basically if we imagine the valuation of the site, if I could get the site earning, you know, $400 to $500, I could then sell it for roughly 30X or so, uh, the, the monthly profit. So if I can get it earning a few hundred bucks per month, I should be able to sell it. I should be able to recoup all the costs. And if I keep it longer, potentially grow the income even more, then I could sell it for even you know, a higher price. Yes, I potentially would be investing more in content, for example. And maybe I'm spending some time on getting those guest posts. But but the fact is, like, if I can get the site earning a few hundred dollars per month, which I think is well within my reach here, should be able to hit an ROI positive uh, situation, hopefully before the end of the year. You know, hopefully it's much faster than that. But um I will have to put time into it. I know I, I talk to people every now and then I'm like, well, the more, the more effort you put into it now, the more, 
the more time you put into it, the more resources, the more it's going to pay off in the future. And I just need to listen to my own advice. There's no, there's no mystery. If I just completely don't do anything on the site for a couple of months, then things are going to maybe not grow as fast. Maybe they're going to dwindle a little bit. So I need to get on it. And with that in mind, we can talk about some things that I do need to work on. There are endless things that you can work on with these affiliate sites or really any kind of content-based website, which now that I say it out loud, that seems a little bit redundant, but we're talking about like keyword-driven sort of uh, organic search results and the kind of sites that we usually talk about here on The Doug Show. It comes down to content and backlinks. Content and backlinks. We can make it super complicated and go very deep into the weeds with keyword research, how to format the content, all the little details, or you can keep it kind of simple. I try to keep things simple because, I mean, a lot of the optimization is like too deep in the weeds. It gets confusing and basically you end up with like diminishing returns for the amount of time you're spending on it. Now, the site has something like 80 80 to 90 posts or so. When I first bought it, I had in about 30, 35. And then I hired Human Proof Designs to do keyword research for me. Got 50 KGR keywords. Then I hired content development pros to uh, write the content and publish it. They did all that super quick. All this took place like in July and early August, basically while I was on vacation. So there's plenty of content on the site and it's slowly been growing in traffic. The piece that I was like slowly doing was backlinking because like I said, it was expensive. So I I wanted to kind of slowly get those backlinks, hire a couple different services to do it. And at this point, I believe the site needs more backlinks. It's been interesting over the last uh, several weeks, I've been interviewing more and more people and in general, there's, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I guess there's a lot of people talking about, hey, I, I, I don't build backlinks because, you know, it's like setting your hair on fire or if you build any backlinks or if you have the intention to improve your rankings and you do any sort of promotion or outreach or anything, then you're fucked and you're going to get penalized, which is just not true. It's just not true. Yes, you can kind of fuck up with a link building piece. But I mean, the point is if you're doing like real outreach, if you're actually networking, you're probably going to get some natural links and you can be a little bit more proactive. You don't have to just like wait for links to happen to you. You can make a decision that you're going to be proactive about it. So I'm not here to say, Hey, you got to build links. But a lot of times when people come to me and they are looking for advice, they 100% have neglected backlinks. And they're like, well, so-and-so does this and that with no backlinks, which is fine. I mean, we could pick out case studies and examples for like basically anything you want. But generally, if you go do research, if you go look out there, most people agree, if they know what the fuck they're talking about, that backlinks are helpful. So the people, (laughs) I'll get off the high horse here. So I believe I need to build some backlinks. And that is the piece where 
I just got to get on it, send out a few emails, like get the wheels moving forward, get the wheels turning here. And I, I think we'll be in good shape. I may have mentioned it in a couple of the other episodes, but I like to send about half the links to the homepage. And I like to send about half of the, the other half of the links to internal articles. The links going to the homepage, typically those are going to be like brand anchor text. So niche site project, the Doug show, the title of the website, basically. So that's the anchor text that we're looking for going to the homepage that gives Google some, uh, you know, evidence that it's a brand people are linking to it. That is a good thing. So that's generally the approach that I'm going to take. And on a secondary level, like content is very important. People have to go and read stuff, hopefully, and solve their problem and hopefully buy stuff at the end of the day. Overall, I think there's enough content on the site for the time being. However, I will most likely find some keywords, probably KGR keywords at this point in time, that I can continue to publish a little bit of content on an ongoing basis. I'm not 100% sure how much I want to publish, but I would say, you know, maybe two to eight articles per month, just so there's a little bit more um, just new content going out. I know it's a huge niche overall. And while I have a decent amount of content at 80 posts, I know that I could be adding other just very low competition kind of keywords that are definitely targeting like product based um, keywords. So it's nothing really profound. It's kind of the same stuff that I've said again and again, you know, get backlinks, get backlinks to your homepage, get backlinks to the content that you want to rank, publish more content, publish more content that brings in the kind of traffic that you want, whether that is informational kind of content or if it's product-based. And in this case, I will probably continue with roughly the 50-50 like info versus product. And, um, you know, that way there's a nice balance. I don't want to have like too much affiliate content, but at this point in time, I'm kind of in a safe range. So I'll, I'll probably, I uh, may lean a little bit harder on the product side, but I think I'm, I'm well within any sort of acceptable range for, you know, uh, informational versus the product reviews. And the danger is Google, the word on the street is Google sometimes doesn't like a site that maybe has like all affiliate content if it's not like super high quality. The thing is you can find examples where number one, someone has like too many affiliate links and too many affiliate posts. Google marks their site as quote, thin content, even though it may be long content. They say it's thin because there's too much affiliate-oriented uh, content. Or, right, the, uh, the other issue is Amazon sometimes doesn't like it if you only have, like, pure affiliate advertising kind of content. They want it to be real. Um, they sure would like it to be, like, personal recommendations from, like, a personal blog. And by the way, I don't, I'm not associated with Amazon other than being part of the Amazon associate program, but I don't work for Amazon or know any inside information, anything like that. The whole point being 
it's really good to have that balance of 50% informational and 50% product focus just to say, stay in that safe range as far as like your makeup uh, of the content, I guess the breakdown of the content and what it's trying to do. I mentioned it a couple times where I'm like, Hey, if you just take off your, you know, your tin foil SEO hat and you think about the visitor when you're trying to make a decision, you think about the visitor that's searching for a solution to their problem and you let that guide your decision-making process, that is usually a better way to do it. Quick example, um, I did a live stream just earlier today. By the way, I do live streams uh, usually once a week. Check it out on YouTube. You could subscribe and you'll get notified and all that stuff. You can ask live questions. There was a person in the chat today that said, hey, I'm thinking of linking out to other sites that have product reviews. And I'm thinking of linking from my own product reviews to their site. Do you think that's a good idea? Will it get my site penalized? And I don't have any issue with that. Um, I, I don't know for sure. I don't think your site's going to get penalized. I don't think there's going to be any like major negative repercussions. And I have linked to competitor sites when I found it to be a very good resource or helpful in some way. So again, if you take off that SEO hat and you think about the visitor and how you could best help the visitor, then you end up in a, I guess, a more sane position instead of like here, like basically I think the person heard that, uh, hey, if you link out to someone else's site, you're passing link juice to them and you're losing customers and all these bad things are going to happen. And basically, it's possible. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to provide a good visitor experience, if you're trying to help that searcher find the solution to their problem, and you could put a helpful link in your content that helps that user, that's probably going to be the best thing to do. Yes. You may lose uh, one or two visitors here or there. You may lose even more. But if you have a better user experience, like that's, in my opinion, that's going to win out in the long run. That's generally what I'm trying to do. Like think about good decisions in a long-term way, reduce risk and that sort of thing. So in this person's case, I was like, yeah, I think you're probably all right. Like, what do you fear? Like, what do you think is going to go wrong? And again, once I sort of stripped away and looked at, hey, how do you serve the user? I, well, I hope I helped them out. I think I made my point pretty clear when I when I described the uh, implications of it. But yeah, when you think about it, hey, are you helping the visitor or are you trying to somehow manipulate the, you know, tiny little ranking factors? Because like, there's so many variables in there. Like I can't imagine those little steps are going to make a huge difference. I do realize that certain things do make a, a difference and you can get incremental gains here and there. But most of the time, you know, most of the time, if you can get like 80% of the way there or even 70%, that's pretty good. You could probably like refine things from there, but you know, linking out to a competitor site isn't the worst thing in the world especially if it's a very good resource. And when you look at best-in-class kind of sites, the very big sites out there, you'll see, I hope, that they link out to other resources. I know some of my sites have excellent links from bigger sites, from com 
competitors and I'm a competitor of them, but they link to my site because it's a good resource. So it's a perfectly normal thing to do. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't like try and hoard all the quote link juice onto your site. And I think at this point in time in 2020, that's not, it's not necessarily like a backwards way to think about it, but you're, you're definitely like making it more complicated than it potentially needs to be. Let's hit a couple questions here via email. So David, get a little shout out for David. David confirmed for me that he actually received um, a couple emails in his uh, primary tab. And that, that's a quick, quick tip for folks. If you are signed up for my email list, you should probably set up a filter or you know, drag my email over to the primary tab. It has been um, a little bit of a struggle recently to deliver a couple of the emails. It looks like Google has started to file my emails in a different tab. And a lot of people do use Gmail, not everyone, but a lot of people do use Gmail. And I, I don't know, but like the, the deliverability dropped dramatically on a couple emails that I sent. So I need to, uh, you know, figure out what's going on with that. It's kind of a shame because I have a pretty solid open rate overall in the mid twenties, typically sometimes uh, almost 30% depending on the topic. So anyway, David was asking about Pinterest traffic. So one thing I'm not going to do for the age, age site case study is anything with Pinterest. So David was like, Hey, do you have any tips on Pinterest? I have a good system of content and link building and I want to get some Pinterest traffic. So my response was, here's a couple um, blog posts that people wrote for me because they're good at Pinterest. And uh, here's what they did. I believe Pinterest, at least for the kind of sites that I do, is pretty much a waste of time. Yes, I know you can get some traffic from Pinterest. Christy wrote a very good case study where she got about 20% of her traffic over the course of 10 months, like the first 10 months that she had her site around, and 20%, right? That's nothing to sneeze at. However, super interesting thing, at the beginning of her site, she uh, was spending a lot more, or she was spending time on Pinterest, not necessarily a lot, but she was spending time on Pinterest. She was using Tailwind. She got roughly like 70 to 80% of her traffic from Pinterest within the first three months or so. Luckily, then it switched over. She's getting a lot more traffic in general from organic search, which is where you want the traffic coming from. But in my opinion, there's two reasons why I don't like Pinterest traffic. One, it's like a, it's a machine that you have to feed, right? You can't just set up Pinterest and then like stop doing it. You have to keep posting. You got to keep doing things. And I'm sure some people are going to, you're shaking your fist at, at your uh, speakers there, your headphones. And you're like, no, I, I don't do anything or it only takes me an hour a week or whatever. So sure. Yeah. You can use some automation tools like um, Tailwind. You can make it easier blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, it's like you still have to keep pinning stuff. And I actually have a, I'll contradict myself <laughs> real quick. I was doing some testing on Pinterest uh, last year for about six months. It was fine. Like we increased Pinterest, Pinterest traffic by hundreds of percent, but it was still like a very small amount overall. The cool part is I pulled the plug and I was like, all right, let's do something else. 
let's build some links instead of messing with Pinterest. And then that paid off like way better. But the cool thing is because all this work ahead of time was done with pins and setting up pins and boards and all that stuff. Pinterest traffic has been, um, it, it dropped when we stopped doing the, the work, but basically it's been consistent. So it's just been even, it is only like, you know, 0.3% of the traffic. So it's, it's not much, but in that one case, it seems to be a little bit more consistent. It didn't continue to grow. That's the thing. Um, for organic search traffic, at least, you know, you set it up, you're getting traffic, you, you spend the time to rank, and at, at least you're getting traffic, hopefully consistently. Hopefully you're weathering the Google updates that come around. But in general, I prefer the organic search traffic over Pinterest. And then further, this isn't always the case, but depends on your niche and how you're monetizing. But I'm I'm trying to monetize with Amazon Affiliate. I have product reviews. Typically, people are not going to Pinterest and then making a purchase afterwards. I know a lot of people, they get excellent Pinterest traffic and then they have display ads on their site. That's a that's an equation that works, right? If you can pay some money to have your Pinterest account managed, you're using Tailwind, you're getting traffic consistently, you're getting traffic over to your site where display ads are, are showing up, like maybe with Ezoic or something like that, and then you're making money, right? So you, you can see the ROI, the math is pretty clear. From where I sit, I don't enjoy Pinterest, I don't care about the process. I have little interest in learning and the traffic doesn't seem to convert well from my perspective. If you're doing a different business model, then maybe Pinterest is fantastic. If you like Pinterest as, you know, something that you do anyway, totally valid. But from where I sit, I'm like, I, I don't care about it and I want to I want to work on things that I enjoy working on. I don't want to like spend a bunch of time doing something that I just don't like doing. This episode is brought to you in part by Ezoic. And Ezoic just rolled out their new site speed accelerator, and that removes the negative impact of slow loading pages on visitor experiences by determining what causes a page to load slowly. Then it optimizes how to load those elements faster and basically help improve SEO and really the user experience overall. So that's a callback to what I was talking about earlier. If you think about the visitor and you kind of, you know, remove some of the technical SEO details, like really, if the visitor has a good experience, that that's a great thing. That's a great thing. That's what Google wants anyway. That's what you want in a perhaps indirect way. I mean, you have other incentives in place for your website, of course, but if the person can solve their problem by reading your website, that's a great thing. So the site speed accelerator instantly increases website speed, the page load times, and Google PSI, that is the page speed insight score. And it automatically implements the best practices like image optimization, lazy loading, CSS rendering, and much more. By the way, the Site Speed Accelerator is a standalone product, and any website owner can check it out for free, seven day trial. And Ezoic is so confident in the product that they guarantee a publisher score of 80 plus percent in the Google Page Speed Insights uh, tool. 
And that's within like one week of using the accelerator. So I was checking out a site for uh, one of my friends and the scores were abysmally low. They were, they were like for mobile, it was like four. And then for a desktop, it was like, it was a 40. And this is out of a hundred. So his site is in rough shape. I can't wait to help him out a little bit. And this is one of the tools that I'll be recommending for him to check out. And a little bit of like inside scoop here. I'm going to be speaking at an Ezoic event. And it's pretty cool. It's in New York City at the Google office, at one of the Google offices. So pretty cool. It is a event. It is an event that Ezoic puts on, um, I guess, once a year. It used to be invite only. I'll put a link in the description. It's called uh, Pubtelligence. And... I'm I'm terrified and super excited to uh, be doing this speaking gig. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you probably realize I have been talking about speaking for a little while. There's been a ton of stuff going on in my personal life, a lot of which I don't talk about here at all, but I've been like pretty busy, you know, I've been pretty busy, even with the things that I do talk about on this show, but I've been super busy and I was like, I'll probably wait to do and like pursue the speaking gigs for a while. I'll probably wait until the second half of the year, but this opportunity came up, excuse me, Ezoic invited me and I was like, well, I got to say yes. Um, it's an event put on by Google and Ezoic. So I'm, I'm super pumped, very scared. I'm going to be putting together the presentation. I'll put a link in the description so you can check it out. The cool thing with this um, event, it is free to attend. You do have to apply and they take a wide range of different uh, like website owners. It ranges from like huge media companies to individual like niche site owners, um, people that are sort of earlier in their career. Like I said, the range goes from like huge media companies down to individuals like, you know, you and I. So super cool opportunity, very pumped. And um, I'll put a link in the description. So potentially you could apply to attend and uh, watch me speak there in New York City. There are a few awesome episodes coming up. Hopefully all of them are great, but I know, uh, you know, some are, are better than others. Um, but the next episode is Q&A and voicemails. Those are very popular. You never know like what questions are going to hop on. And it, it's part of the community, right? You send in questions, I give you a shout out, maybe you send in a voicemail. So I like the interaction and, and usually when people get their question on, they love it. They always send an email back. It really makes people's day. So I like doing that. And then I also have a another great interview in the personal finance area, and that is uh, Julie Berninger from Fire Drill Podcast, the Fire Drill Podcast, which is kind of a big deal. It's another, it's another one of those uh, like big podcasts out there. And I shot Julie an email and she was kind enough to agree to uh, speak with me. So she's been blogging for a few years. She's been podcasting for about, I think, three. And she's, like I said, from the, the personal finance and like FIRE movement. That's the financial independence, retire early movement. And, um, she also does a bunch of side hustle stuff. So there's a nice overlap on the things that we're both interested in. So, uh, Julie actually published like, uh, income reports for a couple years. We talk about that in the episode and many, many other things. Um, a couple other cool things we got coming up. 
I'm interviewing uh, Matt Givanisi from moneylab.co. And I've been talking about Matt for, uh, gosh, it seems like a couple months now, but we're going to be recording the episode pretty soon. It's going to be coming out in a few weeks and very pumped for that. Matt's a very driven guy, very smart. He does a lot in affiliate marketing. He has a few courses and he and I do a lot of very similar things and I'm surprised that we didn't cross paths before. One super cool thing is uh, we cross paths because we're at a brew day event at the Mr. Money Mustache HQ. So we were able to basically just like be normal, talk about beer, talk about homebrew and beer. And then eventually we got to the affiliate marketing stuff, but that'll be really fun. I'm going to be recording in his studio. He has a pretty uh, badass studio down in Boulder. So we, he invited me to uh, record there because he has way better equipment than me. Basically he has much better equipment and uh, there are many other interviews coming up on the horizon here. So I am definitely trying to stick to, you know, our roots here with affiliate marketing and niche sites, but I'm also peppering in this uh, personal finance area because I mean, generally we're all interested in having like freedom with our time, making choices that we are making to a life that we want to live versus just like taking that, you know, bullshit 2% raise or, half a percent raise, or you were supposed to get a bonus and you got the jelly of the month club, like all that kind of stuff. Like generally, if you're into side hustles, if you're into the affiliate marketing, you want to have the options. You want to be able to make those choices for yourself instead of just like taking the hand that's dealt to you and moving forward. Financial independence folks, same situation. A lot of them are picking up side hustles, like you know, Julie, um, that I mentioned before, and just in general, like once people are done with their corporate gig and work is optional, people are still doing work. Maybe they're not actually retired. They're still doing work, but it's something they're interested in, like Carl Jensen, which is the interview that I published last Monday. So if you, if you didn't listen to that one, I really enjoyed it. I hope people dig it too, but um, that was one of the one of the problems I sent out that email like last Monday and basically a ton of people didn't get it or they didn't see it because it was like filed over to spam or something like that. So anyway, I'm just rambling on at this point. So I'm going to go ahead and call it an episode. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one. Mm -hmm.